You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. So into Romans, uh, dense theological book in the Bible, so dense that I literally spent like four to five hours just studying one Greek word for this message. That's it. You're so excited. I know. It's going to bore the heck out of you. <laughs> but let's go ahead and learn this Greek word first. Pronounce this after me. After I make sure I say it right. Okay. All right. Got it. Dikaiastone. Less mafia in your tone. Dikayasone. Dikayasone. Ah, okay. This is a word that we're going to focus on here because it's a big one in Romans. Dikayasone gets translated a few different ways. But if you were to look into the Greek word, it's got a lot of like court justice system type feel to it. Some of you are getting even more bored now, right? (laughs) Dikaiosone has this kind of court, justice, injustice, righteousness kind of feel to it. And pretty much any translation of your Bible that you're going to read, it's going to translate this the same way. In the typical Pauline, Paul-sounding language of justice. No, (laughs) that's not what it translates as righteousness. Sorry, righteousness. Uh, righteousness, we throw this word around a lot, but what does that actually mean? Does anybody want to take a stab at it? Like, if you were to say, this is what righteousness has always meant to me, what would you say? Debbie's thinking. Never had to find it before. Yeah, so righteousness, right? Uh, we, that's our, that's our, uh, 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 what's the, what's the, what's the, Related root word. That's our root word right there, right. So you would be right, moral uprightness, righteousness. You're on the, if it was a court system, you would be what? You'd be on the right side of things. So right gives us like all these implications of correctness or moral correctness because we're thinking again court system. But one of the other ways in which dikaiosone gets translated is justice. Justice, because again, it belongs in the justice system, in the court system. So if you were right in the court system, you would also therefore be just. You did the right thing. You did the just thing. You are justice in that situation. These kinds of words are going to be huge for Paul later because he's going to talk about Jesus being our righteousness and that uh we therefore are considered with Jesus in righteousness. That's another big thing. We'll get into that later. But for tonight, dikaiosune, righteousness, justice, all these different kinds of court words should be what we're thinking about. Now, all of your Bibles are going to translate this righteous. And so I myself would love to translate this righteous because that's what everybody else does. But there was a proposal some time ago that continues to get my attention. It's from N.T. Wright, who's pretty much like the most famous Bible scholar today, who really feels like this should be translated more on the justice side of things, even more so like covenant justice. God has always had a covenant with his people that they would be just 
people pursuing justice, bringing justice into the world, being a shining light of justice for God. And I wondered, like, let's just try the verse out and see what what makes sense, okay? Paul says this in verse 16, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the dikaiosune of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the dikaiosune shall live by faith. So we can say righteousness, or we can say justice. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Or in it, the justice of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Now the reason I'm starting to feel... Justice is perhaps a better English translation here, and why that's even important to you at all, because you're bored, I know, is because of this. Paul's mindset is so focused on the age to come. Once you understand resurrection life and Paul's zeal for resurrection life, all of his letters start to take on a different tone because you realize he's always hungry for resurrection life. I mean, at one point, he told people that it was probably better to not get married in this time, and his thinking was more or less like Jesus is coming back any day. (laughs) Realize if people went through with that, you wouldn't be here today because all the Christians would have died out. They would have gone extinct because no one had any kids, right? But Paul was so urgent, like, Jesus is coming back any day now. We need to be ready. So if you don't have to get married, like, let's not even worry about that. Let's just get out there and get the word out. That's how zealous Paul is for Jesus' return. And he knows how that's going to change his life, too. And he's zealous for that. He knows that Jesus was resurrected, that he put on an immortal body that cannot see decay, that cannot see corruption, that cannot hurt, that cannot feel pain, that is this new body like Jesus's. That when Jesus raised was raised from the dead, he put on a body that could no longer ever be killed again. It is immortal. It is a heavenly, spiritual, physical, earthly body all at the same time. And Paul knew... That since that was true for Jesus, that was true for us. The Bible calls Jesus the firstborn of the dead. In other words, he's the firstborn because he was the first one to be born again after he was dead. The rest of us, I don't know what the line ticker is in heaven. I don't know if you're first or second or seven millionth. But the idea is if Jesus is the firstborn, you're coming after him. Resurrection life is for you too. You are the second, third, fourthborn from the dead. Which we'll just all say second board. Okay, you're all tied. It's cool. So with that being said, Paul is zealous for that which is to come. He talks about resurrection a lot. And he spells it out more clearly than most people in the Bible. On top of that, he's also excited about the new heavens and the new earth. Because resurrection isn't about going to heaven when you die. Resurrection is about leaving heaven to come down to earth and live here again. And remake the earth, make it new, make it right, make it everything it was supposed to be. That was God's plan in the Garden of Eden. We messed it up. But that doesn't mean that God's like, oh, I'm just done with that, not going back to that again. God had a plan from the beginning, and He will return to it. God doesn't make mistakes. And so, here we have Paul's thinking, resurrection life, coming life. And what else comes with the resurrection, new heavens, new earth, new bodies, things like that? It's justice. Justice comes with all that. 
It's a rather frightening scene, intensely so. We're supposed to feel this almost holy fear of God. But the scene in which God in the courtroom, which we're going to see more of in Romans, God in the courtroom sits on his throne and brings judgment, brings justice. All of us, every person in this room, has at some point asked God, why do bad things happen to me? And I know that because even the people in the Bible were just holy enough to ask the same question. Job especially. God, why do bad things happen to me? God's profound answer was not there, mostly. It was just kind of (laughs) a non-answer. But we all ask that question. And God's eventual answer is that, yes, bad things happen right now, but eventually the day will come where it doesn't happen anymore. Eventually the day of the Lord, is what the prophets called it, will come where God, in His justice, makes all things right. And if you're going to make all things right, it means you have to deal with all things wrong. And in that moment, you see that picture in Revelation throughout the Bible... Uh, everything that's wrong kind of thrown into this place where it's, in my opinion, not tortured forever. It just comes to an end. It ceases to exist. And everything that is right belongs with Jesus and continues to live immortally. We run into the death of deaths or the life of lives. Paul's got all these things on his mind all the time. And so he comes up before the Romans in his letter and says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel Why? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. People looked at his gospel and thought it was weird, thought it was strange, thought it was little, thought it was about this man who died on a cross. He was a criminal. He took a criminal punishment, capital punishment. Guy got the electric chair. But Paul comes along and says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed of the guy in the electric chair. I follow him. Paul goes so far at the beginning of Romans to call himself a slave. I am a slave for Jesus. Nobody calls themselves a slave ever. ever. Like that's demeaning. That's, that's lowly. But Paul understood that Jesus had in many ways become a servant. Took on the form of a slave for humanity. And so Paul will bring himself even lower to be a servant to Jesus. That sounds like something you'd be ashamed of. And yet, Paul is not ashamed of it at all. Because he knows the truth. He knows that in this gospel, though it may look weak, though it may look small, though it may bring on suffering, though it may make him a slave to his God, he knows deep down that he's on the right side of justice. He's on the right side of righteousness. He is righteousness in God's eyes. He is dikaiosune. Because Jesus is dikaiosune. And here's part of the reason I see this word as justice. Paul goes on. We always like to stop verses when there's a headline or when there's a new verse number. But if we were to just read it straight, it says this. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. In it, the justice of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then he continues. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all injustice of men. 
who by their injustice suppress the truth. So Paul's entire next paragraph is going to be about those who live unjustly, unrighteously, undikaiosune, which is not how you say that word in Greek, I'm sure. Paul is making a comparison. There are those falling under justice with Jesus, and there are those who are living by injustice outside of Jesus. There are those living righteously with Jesus and those living unrighteously outside of Jesus. Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel, but then he's going to go on to talk about people living outside of Jesus, saying that they do shameful acts and all kinds of things. Paul, in his mind, already has the end court in his mind. And that's what he's here to talk to the Romans about in a lot of different ways. He's here to tell them what salvation is. He's here to tell them how faith leads to salvation. He's here to tell them how to be on the right side of justice when Jesus comes back. That's going to continue to stick out throughout Romans. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because despite all the things that it's done to him, he is on the right side of justice. And he knows in the end, he won't need to be afraid. Now at the same time, Paul's still going to call us to live right and move right. Some people took what Paul said and they're like, whoa, he's saying we can just think a certain way and we're good. Then we're on the side of justice. Paul himself will say, no, never shall it be. (laughs) James is even going to correct it. James is going to say, like, no, faith without works is dead. As though Paul's thinking had been mistranslated by others and said, yeah, we just got to think a certain way. We're good. But no, Paul's actually going to go on, and we're going to talk about this more. Paul's going to talk about that day of judgment, the day of the Lord, as though it doesn't only apply to the just and the unjust, but it applies to everyone. That everyone who has ever lived, everyone who has ever died is empty before God's throne. And every single person has to be held to account. That includes both Christians and non-Christians. We like to hone in on just like non-Christians. But you know, even if we are coming into that moment saved, there is still just a little bit of fear that we still have to own up for what we've done. Jesus especially talks about this moment where he will sort through things. It's not that we're saved by our works, but it's not that our works don't matter. We'll get more into that some other time because it's in Romans. Um, But here we see Paul not ashamed because he understands the fullness of resurrection life and that he's on the right side of justice. So other people are going to come and say, Ah, you call yourself a slave to God. Ah, you've been beat up, Paul. You've been through all this stuff. Paul's actually going to brag about that stuff because that's credit to him on behalf of the gospel. (laughs) Like, a brag fest for Paul is super strange. If you go to 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 11, 21, he says this, Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. So he's making himself lowly. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offsprings of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. (laughs) 
Paul, calm down a little bit. I am talking like a madman, Paul continues, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Just imagine someone bragging about this. You know how many times I've almost died? Yeah, in your face, man. All right. <laughs> Five times I received the hands of the Jew, at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes last one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And that's not what I mean if you're thinking it that way. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent, frequent journeys. Freaking journeys. On frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from our own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst. Often without food. In cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I love that that's his peak point. <laughs> you know how many times I've been beaten and stoned? And on top of that, I have to pastor. <laughs> like, oh, what am I going to do? He's fine. Who is weak that I am not weak? Who is made to fall that I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. That's Paul's bragging moment right there. I just I want to imagine that playing out. You know, when people get into like, oh, you think you're better than me, huh? You know, like I can hit that three-pointer right there from half court. Check this out. Yeah, well, I can do it from the full thing. Hey, Paul, guess what? Uh, yesterday I felt like Satan persecuted me a little bit. I was beaten and stoned, shipwrecked a day and a night. <laughs> Paul, I was almost set on fire yesterday. Oh, is that all? Just set it on fire a little bit. <laughs> you know, like this, this is Paul's bragging moment. Why would he brag about these things? He looks like a fool and he knows it. Why would he boast? About his weakness. Because in these moments, he knows he's bringing about the gospel. In these moments, he knows he's doing what he was called to do. In these moments, he's making a difference in the world for the kingdom of heaven. And though people may look at him and say, you're foolish. Paul, you used to persecute the Christians. We got you back then. We don't like these Christians. But then all of a sudden, you switch sides. Nobody trusts you anymore, Paul. You're crazy. You believe all of a sudden that a man who had capital punishment was put in prison and then killed in the electric chair, nailed to a cross, left to die while everyone mocked him. That's who you follow? A criminal? You had so much, Paul. So much to your life. So much to your teaching. And that's what you traded it all in for? And Paul turns and says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is the good news. I will go to jail for this. I will die for this. And he did such things. He was willing to embrace persecution for the gospel. There's a weird story in which the Holy Spirit was speaking to Paul one time in Acts. And the Holy Spirit put it on his heart, you know what? You're about to walk into persecution. You are going to end up in jail. This is what I'm calling you to. 
Interesting thing. The Holy Spirit spoke the same exact prophetic word to a prophet named Agabus and to people at different churches. And as Paul did ministry and ended up at those churches, the people at those churches said, Look, Paul, the Holy Spirit's speaking to us. You're going to end up in jail. They got the same prophetic word, but they actually misinterpreted it. You're going to end up in jail, and so you need to go a different way. (laughs) And Paul looks at the church, he's like, why are you weeping about this? Why are you breaking my heart? Don't you know God is, he's not trying to talk me out of this, he's trying to call me into this. That persecution is for the gospel, that persecution is for God. He will use that too. Paul is not afraid of foolishness, of weakness, of little things, because he is not ashamed of the gospel. And that leaves a very big question for us. What are we ashamed of the gospel for? People all over the world who will die for this. But in the western side of the world, we're usually afraid to like mention that we're a Christian. And I do understand that there is this element of we know that there's a lot of bad stereotypes to Christians that we aren't and we don't want to be and so we're afraid to like say that we're one of those because we don't want people to misjudge us and then not listen to us but there's a certain kind of shame that a lot of Christians feel like I don't want to bring that up I don't want to get into that I'm going to leave my religion out of this I'm going to leave my faith out of this and all of that is the gospel that Paul was not ashamed for was willing to die for was willing to go to the ends of the earth for because Rome was the ends of the earth in Paul's time there was no America (laughs) he literally was going to the end of the world to tell people about the gospel and we'll bring it up if we have to because we're not going to say no to, like if someone questions us we're not going to say we're not Christian but otherwise we'll keep it under wraps what are you ashamed of the gospel for because Paul lives a life that beckons us not to be that way Paul lives a life that beckons us to go the distance and to recognize that if we're going to if we are going to be right people righteous people, morally upstanding right people, if we're going to be just people, if we're going to be people of justice, if we're going to be counted on the right side of justice at the end of all things, then we cannot be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the good news for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So as we come to the communion table tonight, for the first time together since COVID hit. Amen. Yeah. So we come to the communion table. Uh, I invite you to come and drink of the reminder that you are on the right side of justice with the calling to keep living into justice and with the mission to go out to the rest of the world and say, God wants you too to be on the right side of justice. In fact, Jesus has waited so long to come back. When he originally said he'd be here 70 years, he's waited an extra 2,000 because God is just too patient, too loving, too kind, and wants more to be saved. And if he still has hope that he doesn't need to come back right now in this moment, then it's because there are more to be saved, more to be brought in. And if we go unashamed of the gospel, we live out the possibility to show people what the true gospel is and invite them into it. So drink of justice, drink of resurrection, 
drink of the new heavens, new earth, of the saving grace of Jesus. Repent of sins, let those go, and then move forward in righteousness and justice.